0: I will get you one because you need it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do with your crayon. This is why you have this. I would like for everyone to draw a picture of the person sitting next to you. If no one is sitting next to you, which there are a few, a small few, but a few, if no one is sitting next to you, you can draw my picture. I will allow it. You, you can draw my picture, but I want you to draw the picture of the person sitting next to you. While you're doing that, I want to tell you a story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a trip with some of my buddies. These are some guys that um, really, since we were in college, I had been taking a ski trip every single year with, uh, with a group of my friends. And so I wanted to show you a picture of us um, on our first trip. This is, this is young Tommy, 19 years ago. Um, This is us. We loaded up in our friend's station wagon from Johnson City, Tennessee, and we drove to Colorado all out and had uh, the first of what was then going to ended up being every year a ski trip. A couple weeks ago, this next picture is the same group plus a couple people. Um, This is us again two weeks ago at Telluride, Colorado. And you can tell which one's me because um, the strong, attractive one. So I know you can't tell, but it was really cold that day. All right. So that's us there. We've been taking this trip together um, and such a, a, a blast on this day right here a, a couple weeks ago. It was snowing. Um, it was one of those days where if you're a skier, you know, fresh snow is what you really, really want when you go skiing. Fresh snow means soft. It means also that um, you're going to have the whole mountain to ski. And so that's just one of those days where we wanted to get the most of it. Um, We skipped lunch. Uh, We were out there trying to really soak in the day. And if um, if you've been skiing, but just maybe you've only been skiing in North Carolina. We need to talk for a minute. If you've only been to Beach Mountain... Uh, One thing that you need to understand as I tell my story, because you're going to think that doesn't make sense. Beach Mountain has 95 skiable acres, 95 acres on which you can ski. Where we were in Telluride had over 2,000 skiable acres, so it's like 20 times the size. So when I tell you that when you're skiing, you can choose your own path where you want to go. I really mean that. It's not like beach where there's like one way down. OK, you can you can go in from trees, uh, cut across different trails. The whole mountain gets open, especially when there's fresh snow. And if you're a skier, you know, you want fresh powder. You want to cut your own path. And so that's what we were after on this day as it continues to snow. Well, after lunch, um, we're going down this run. I just would tell you, I don't often lead our group. I like to follow our group because I like to stay together. It's more fun that way. Um, but I just happen to be in front. On this one time is how we got off the lift, so I've, I lead. Go down this run, get down part of uh, the way down, and I stop and I turn around to wait for the rest of my friends to come and stop make sure everybody's okay. And then I keep waiting and I keep waiting and I keep waiting and you, know, you guessed it, they weren't coming. So long story short, I ended up skiing the rest of that afternoon all by myself. <laughs> Don't feel too bad for me. I was in Telluride, Colorado, skiing on fresh powder, okay? <laughs> what, what had happened is I got, we got separated. I found out later on, I get back to the cabin, my loser friends went into the cabin. Uh, they're in the hot tub having snacks, relaxing, hanging out, and here I come in. Uh, listen, I told you I don't typically lead because I like to be with my friends. And I really just wanted to, uh, to, to spend time with them, but on that run, it changed differently. Um, story time's over. How's your drawing? I know when I said draw, like I hear and I see and I can feel the tension in the room. You're all thinking, yeah, right, this is going to be fun. Um, I I just felt the discomfort. The question, though, at what age did you stop believing that you could draw a picture? (laughs) Because if we took this same crayon downstairs to the preschool class and did the exact same experiment, their reaction would be totally different than yours. They would say, "Crayon, sweet. Let me have that. Paper, wall, what do you want? I'll draw this anywhere. It <laughs> they, they wouldn't matter. We would end up with things that would go on the refrigerator. It would be masterpieces. You would give them one crayon, they would draw the world. At what age did you stop believing that you could draw? I was thinking... As I was preparing this message, that looking at a blank piece of paper and thinking about drawing was similar for me of looking down a mountain which is wide open. I can choose any route I would like. I remembered that experience for me of the blank canvas of the mountain in front of me thinking I can go wherever I want. And I remembered the pain that it was associated with being alone because being creative means I had to lead. And leading meant that somebody wasn't going to follow. A whole group of them were too slow and they didn't follow. At some point for you, you may have drawn something and somebody said, that's not very good, that's not actually what I told you to draw. You probably began to draw much like I did and you, your artwork was rejected you realize that it hurt and so you began to choose over time that rather than being rejected or being wrong, that you just wouldn't draw anymore. We scribble a little bit. Maybe you apologize to your neighbor. I'm not an artist. I'm sorry. But what we've, what we've experienced in our lives means that fear often keeps us from creating. We're afraid of peop- that people won't like what we create. We're afraid that they're not going to follow where we go. Write this down. It's important for you today. Fear, not lack of creativity, stops us from living a creative life. Fear, not a lack of creativity, stops us from living a creative life. Gradually over time, our fear of failure and rejection ends up smothering out The gift of creativity that began in us at a young age. What if we fail? What if we end up all alone? Some of you are holding on to your crayon right now. You're not putting it down. You're still uh, skeptical. Is he going to ask me to be creative? Well, I am. We're going to talk about the creative life. But somewhere along the way, you've put that down because you felt like it was better to live a safe life that was a little more boring and definitely a lot easier. So why would I want to live a creative life? You're right, being boring and safe can be good sometimes. And creativity certainly takes a lot of risk. But what we've been saying in this whole series is that when we live our lives the way God intends us to live our lives, that we discover through that process that there is more to life than what we otherwise might have thought. In a series called Life Means More, we're saying that when we live according to God's plan for us, we experience a better life that is full of more joy and greater purpose. And so today as we look at this, uh, this idea that the creative life means more, then what we're going to do is build upon some stuff that we've had in the previous weeks. If you've been here, you know we're in Genesis a lot. The previous weeks, we've been looking at the beginning when everything began that God created and that God um, in Genesis 1 and 2 created all that was. In fact, uh, last week, Scott was preaching through Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. This is what that says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, He created them. And so we are created in God's image, which means we are like God in His likeness. And if we are in His likeness, then we know that we are created to be like God who is Creator. But you don't need the Bible to tell you that you are created to be creative. If you just look into culture, perhaps this one quote from uh, Pablo Picasso Would tell this truth from a different perspective. Here's what he says Every child is an artist. Every child is an artist. The problem is how we remain an artist once we grow up. To be creative is something that God made us to be, we are made to be creative. And you can set your crayon down because being creative is not just about drawing or painting. It's about anything that we use our ability and resources to make. You can be creative in, in just problem solving, a creative act of problem solving. Or maybe for you it's gardening or designing something or building or repairing broken things or coding on a computer Or maybe it's coaching for you. Or maybe skiing. There are many ways that we can be creative. For our purposes today, what we're going to talk about is this. To be creative. To be creative is to engage the inner parts of our intellect and our imagination. Combining that with what God has placed before us and setting it towards action that glorifies God. It's combining the inner part of our intellect and imagination with what God has already placed before us and setting it in action towards something that glorifies God. That's what we're talking about with the creative life. And to do that, we're looking at this scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that is just a fantastic passage of bringing this to life for us. Some of the most stunning displays of creativity, I I believe, are when you look on the outside and it just looks dead or nothing. You look and you think there's nothing there, and then creativity sparks and suddenly there's artwork. Well that's how our passage begins, verse one And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, we could rightly read that you as ourselves, but just to give some context of what's happening here. The you is written towards a people called the Gentiles who are far from God. They're non-Jews who are far from God. And so Paul is writing towards them and says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. However, before we get... uh all um, arrogant and think we're awesome um, as people who are near to God. Verse 3 talks about the Jews, and verse 3 says they're in no better condition. So let's read that again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that's an opening to a passage of Scripture, isn't it? I mean, that's a, that's a weighty, heavy knockout punch. In fact, I think there are like three strikes on this that really make it a total knockout. The three things are that we are, um, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It means, one because we're following the course of this world. Following the course of this world is what verse 2 if you read in the NIV it says following the ways of the world. You're following the ways of the world. This is a contrast to God's way. The second hit comes in verse 2 where you says we're following the devil. It actually says the prince or ruler of the air, but other passages in the New Testament make it clear that like in John chapter 12 verse 31 or chapter 16 verse 11 that um, often Satan or the devil, our adversary, is described in this way. But perhaps the best um, understanding for us is just to stick in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, where you know that this is what Paul is talking about, that there is an enemy that is active against us. And so to be dead means to be following after the devil. And the devil brings death. And so the third blow really is that we're stuck Fulfilling the desires of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires or passions of the flesh. Looking at verse 3, it actually also says children of wrath. That's not a lovely phrase. There are many times in the Bible where there are lovely phrases. But this one is not one of those. But it doesn't mean that we can ignore that or we should not feel the weight of what's going on there. You see, the weight of what's going on there is important for us to grab that we are stuck... Fulfilling the passions of our flesh. Romans 5.12 says it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. If we are left to our own ways, then we are going to stay trapped in sin and death. And by the way, to reference Romans as we work through this part of Ephesians is something that um, is quite common. In fact, commentators who write on this would describe this passage in Ephesians as the shorter version of Romans. So you don't want to read Romans? Just read that. You're good. Um, It's the shorter version, but if you read Romans alongside of it, you'd see that it's much the same in the thinking and the teaching there. Let's keep reading because we're in the bad news zone. Verse 4, but God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is good news. That is the gospel, the good news, the gospel So many amazing things in these verses. But since we talked about three things in the first one, let's talk about three things in this one. There are three verbs in the original language, the Greek, that are really big, fancy verbs. And they all begin with the same prefix. They all begin with this prefix, which means with. And so there are three big words, the way they're translated in the ESV. The first one is made us alive together with Christ. That's like all one word. Okay, so that's like a big fancy word. The second one, made us alive together with Christ. second one, raised us up with Him. And the third, seated us with Him. What's so special about these three verbs is this is what God has done. And the tense here, as an aorist tense of these verbs, means God already did that and it was effective. God already did that and it was effective for us. God has done something incredible and it is good news. It is good news. Keep reading verse seven. We still got some ways to go. So that He did all this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This was all done so that God might show and demonstrate His grace towards us. In our biggest moment of need, God showed His kindness and favor to man. Verse eight For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And as if there was any doubt here about what Paul means, he adds this next verse for complete clarity. It's not a result of works so that no one could boast. Verse 10, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Highlight that word workmanship or underline it. It means a work of art. There's a, another Greek word. I'll teach you this one. It's uh, poiema. Poiema is the Greek word for workmanship. And that one, really, if you listen, is where we get our English. the wor- root of our English word poem. So poiema is this Greek word for workmanship, which means a work of art. A work of art. There's only one other place that that Paul uses this, this word in Romans where he's talking about all that God has created in Romans chapter one. And so we are God's poem. We are his workmanship, his work of art, his masterpiece. This is not like a tag on verse here. Verse 10. It's not like, oh, and then this. This is why this whole passage leads up to the outcome of all of this so that we would recognize that as God's workmanship, that we were saved and and all of this happened not because of the works we had done, but by God's work so that we might also work. So that we might also work for His glory. We listen to this passage and there's no question that God is a God who creates. And that because God is a God who creates, that we are also called to be creative. All people are called to be creative. So if you still don't think you're creative, you're still thinking, "Oh, I'm not creative, you're probably just scared. If you don't think you're creative, you're probably just afraid. Or you're lazy. Because we just talked about how it's a work of art, right? And we're usually thinking that we're not creative because we're either fearful or we're lazy. Genesis defines creativity as work. Those first six days of creation were work, and so God did what on the seventh? He rested. And so this work of creation is something that we participate in. It is our mission. It's our purpose. It's what we are to do. We are to engage in that. So what's holding you back from being and living a creative Life, is it fear or is it laziness? There's a television show called Big Dreams, Small Spaces. It's this show about people who want a garden. They have a big dream for a garden, but they have a small space for that garden. This is not onions and taters garden like we think, okay? This is um, a proper English garden, okay? There's a host, his name is Monty Don. That's a really good English name, by the way. If you, Monty Don is the host of this show. He comes to people who have these big dreams, but a small space. What Monty Don comes and does is he helps them um, kind of work out that dream, and then they discover their garden in the process of blistering, back-breaking work of using a shovel in their own backyard. I mean, come on. You think they're going to bring the crew in? That's not how this show works. They don't bring in the whole landscaping crew. The person on the show, you watch the whole thing. The dreamers, they're the ones that are doing the work. You see on that show, the big dreams only come to fruition through the blistering, backbreaking work of the dreamers. Living a creative life takes work. It takes work to build a garden. It takes work to write a song, to make a car engine, to build a piece of furniture. It requires that we destroy our laziness and that we become faithful over an extended period of time to working it out. A willingness uh, to receive criticism with a humble spirit. It requires sweat and elbow grease and diligence and faithfulness. It's easier though for us just to not make anything. It's easier to be a consumer and in that process suffocate out the gifts that God has given us. It's easier to let other people do the work, to drive those landscapers in, build the garden for me. It feels easier to do that. I'll tell you personally, for me, this hit home during a television show I watched that I'm embarrassed to tell you I watched. Um, And I hesitate to mention because it's like all the thing on Facebook. But there's this other show called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. (laughs) I know I watched the show. One, only one. I watched one and I'm watching this show and I noticed something interesting in the show. It's not like the normal cleaning show where they come in and like this whole crew cleans your house and you're like, yes, I want that. Um, What happens is that she comes in and the real secret is not what Marie does. Really, the secret of that show is she doesn't really do anything. All she does is reminds them of what's already inside of them, what's already kind of there. She taps into that, sets them free, and voila, the whole show is them cleaning their house. I was thinking about that, and it hit me that my desire is to not do the work and somebody else do that, and I was reminded that what God's called me to do, what God's called me to do is to tap into what's already in me in Christ, what's already inside of me in Christ, what He's already enabled me to do in Christ, and then to begin to create. That's what we're called to do. We don't lack creativity. Stop saying that you lack creativity. We don't. We don't lack creativity. What we lack is courage and effort. We're not lacking creativity. We lack courage and we lack effort. God has not asked us to do that which is impossible. He's already done that Himself. He's asked us to do what we can do. And so what if we believed it? What if we believed that that is true? What if we believed that we are created to be creators? There would be a difference in what we would live. If we live this way, we would tap into something that we're currently missing. Isn't that the beauty of creativity? Isn't that what makes a joke the best? When a comedian takes what everybody else doesn't see and makes a joke out of it? The normal everyday stuff? Isn't that what we talked about when something appears dead on the outside, but creativity sparks and suddenly it becomes this work of art? We are living our lives missing out on stuff that's in front of us because we're not living creative lives. You still have that crayon? What's God called you to create? What has God called you and equipped you and prepared you to create? He prepared it ahead of time. What is it for you? What is it for you? I also brought with me today a light bulb. Not because you need an idea. Perhaps you do. But because this light bulb was invented by a man named Thomas Edison and some other people if you're a real historian. But Thomas Edison... And in the process of doing that and creating uh, this light bulb, the incandescent bulb, he worked over three thousand different experiments to get it just right. Over three thousand times, same guy, Thomas Edison. Alkaline batteries, did you know that he invented those? I didn't. Alkaline batteries, he it took over ten thousand tries. To get it right. Ten thousand tries to get it right. What are you called to create? Maybe not these. It may be something for you. So will you hold your crayon and consider? What has God called you to create? Are you lacking courage? Are you lacking effort? Maybe you've been knocked down and told it's not good but you need to pray and ask for courage and for effort. Stop saying you aren't creative and start living a life that means more. God, would you equip us all here in this room to have the courage that we need to be the people that you designed us to be. Give us the effort that we lack, the motivation Work within us an ability to be people who do amazing, creative works in our lives, not for our sake, certainly not that we might boast. But God, for your sake, for your kingdom, to demonstrate your ultimate creativity as our God and our Maker. Use us, those of us in this room, to make incredible things for your kingdom. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.